Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. This morning we're continuing in this short series uh, we've been in called Routine Maintenance. We've been talking about, uh, if you're new and you're like, why is there a wheel with no tire? It's a car theme. That's why this is right here. Uh, We've been talking about parts of our spiritual life that they seem ordinary or maybe even unremarkable, but they make all the difference in our daily lives. Uh, We have compared it with how it generally works uh, with the vehicles we drive each day. There is a light uh, that if you drive a car or truck, you see at one point or another. It's the check engine light. That's the little thing to the left there. Uh, As I keep saying, that's the one from Volkswagens. If you drive a Volkswagen, you see that light a lot. That's just the way it works. There's things we do with our vehicles, though, that they can keep that light from coming on very often. We talked at the beginning about how an oil change uh, helps a lot. Last week, we talked about the nuts and bolts, the small things in our vehicles that just make them so much more pleasant. And the same principle applies in our lives as believers. A little bit of regular attention, just a little. A little bit of time each day, a little bit of routine maintenance, it goes a long way. One thing we said in these first couple weeks, I think I have it on the screen or some version of it, is we want to reiterate this, is we're not saying routine is in boring. Uh, Living a life dedicated to God is not boring. But routine maintenance means living with purpose because we want our relationship with Jesus to be better. Living with purpose because we want our relationship with Jesus to be better. On that note, it should be said that all the stuff we've been talking about these last couple weeks, what we'll talk about today, uh, and in a couple weeks when we finish up, it all of it takes some effort. It even takes some sacrifice at times. It doesn't just happen without us trying in our cars and in our relationship with God. Now, we don't do anything to earn salvation. We want to be really clear about that. Salvation, uh, eternal life, that's freely given and freely received. But living with purpose when it comes to our faith, and it has far-reaching benefits. Living with purpose in our relationship with God, it can change everything about our everyday routine. Today we're talking about another aspect of routine maintenance, and that is the right tires. That's why I have a wheel with no tire on it. Tires the one thing when it comes to cars that pretty much everyone, when you talk about tires, getting new tires, it pretty much always brings out a groan. Whenever you're like, I got to get new tires, the other person's like, oh, and you're like, oh. Why? Because they are so expensive. It's punks of rubber that they take in a shop and they put on there and they put them back on and they're like, that'll be $1,200. If you work at a tire shop, thank you for keeping our cars safe. I'm going to get into it. I appreciate what you do, but man, it's so expensive. Not only are they expensive, it seems like you have to replace them so often. The tire shop person says to you when you go in, you, you need new tires. Measured it, it's only X amount. And you say, it seems like I just replaced my tires. The shop person looks at the computer. Mm. Yeah, it looks like that was three years ago. And you say, like I said, I just replaced my tires, right? Seems so unnecessary sometimes. But you can have your oil changed. You can have every nut, bolt, fastener, part fixed up. You can have an amazing radio in there. But if you really want to go anywhere with confidence, you have to have the right tires. This is never more in focus than when we have weather like we just had, right, a couple weeks ago. Uh, I mentioned last week about how surprised my wife was a long time ago, when, before we were even married, that you could, you could even purchase tires that did not fold in half when you run over a pothole. 
I mean, I went and replaced one for it. It literally folded in half. She called me. It was like, I have a flat tire. And I showed up, and it was in half. Once we got her better tires, she realized a couple things. One of them was when you have decent tires, you spend a lot less time hunting for an air station. You're not having to stop and put air in your tires all the time, pay the 50 cents or whatever it is now. And two, with the right tires, you can pretty much go wherever you want to within reason in Boise, Idaho. One thing we started doing a long time ago for her is we put studs on whichever car she's driving in the winter. She's comfortable driving with them, so she just feels invincible when she gets studs on that 2008 Prius that she drives. And imagine everyone's surprised a couple weeks ago. It snows a foot. They're texting out saying, hey, stay home if you need to today from work. And the seven months pregnant lady just wanders in like it's no big deal. It's because she has the right tires. I actually discovered that thing I was talking about last week, the sway bar link, the little $20 part, uh, while getting new tires towards the end of the summer. Um, Al helped me find some great tires that were really cost effective, and I was able to drive around. It was awesome. But I don't want to set myself up, set us up as this paragon of virtue when it comes to car maintenance. My wife said, I've been listening to these things, these podcasts of it, and you don't talk about, you talk about how you do good with cars a lot. And this was written before that, and she's right. Uh, I don't want to set myself up as always getting this right. I am just as guilty when it comes to tires of, as any of you, and I know you have done this, of wearing them down so they're pretty slick. They're more like racing slicks than actual tires, right? And then I just convince myself it'll be fine. Winter's coming. I look at those tires, and I think what you've thought. Boy, I can get one more season out of these, I think. <laughs> It's three, four more months. I think this is going to be fine. I, I think I could do this. I'll never forget this trip we took to Western Washington. Uh, and uh, it was around Thanksgiving. Um, we had Christina with us. It was early on in our marriage. And uh, we went over there. And they had a big snowstorm at Thanksgiving. And they called it uh, Snowpocalypse that year. Not Snowmageddon, Snowpocalypse. And I had gone over to see a friend of mine, a kid that was in my youth group at the college I went to, kind of braved this snowstorm. It was in our, I told you last week, I've had a lot of versions of these uh, Chevy SUVs. It was my 97 Yukon. And we got in it, and it had okay tires on it. And I was like, I'll make it one more year. I think I can do this. Right? And uh, it got, you know, snowed. It got warm like it does in Seattle. And we went to rescue my wife's sister, Mandy. She'll be here for the baby shower, but we went to rescue my wife's sister, Mandy, in a lot of hilly neighborhoods up there. And she called us, and she's like, hey, I can walk down. It's hilly. She's like, I can walk down. It's pretty slick. I was like, from Idaho. I got four-wheel drive. We'll, we'll drive up there and rescue her, right? So I drive into this neighborhood. We get about halfway up, and I kid you not, the tires start spinning, and we started sliding down backwards. There was nothing I could do. I'm hitting the brakes, I'm hitting the gas, I'm turning the wheel, nothing is happening. We're sliding down straight backwards. And I'm looking side to side, looking behind us. Only by the grace of God did we not damage multiple vehicles or end up on one of those internet fail videos, you know? <laughs> we seriously, we stopped like this far from a car at the bottom. And I was like, we should be more careful. <laughs> Since then, honestly, I've been a lot more on top of it. I don't even want to get close to that. On the tires on your vehicle, they're not going to make your check engine like, come on. But they will keep you from going anywhere or at least anywhere good. We talked last week about uh, personal devotions and simply coming to church the last couple of weeks. Today we're talking about serving in a couple of different ways, about serving God and serving the church. 
You see, we can have this wonderful and vibrant daily time with God. We can have a church that we are grateful for. Hopefully that's what you call this church. We call ourselves an attender or a member of. But if we are not serving, then we are stuck in neutral. If we're not serving, if we're not putting our faith in action, we're stuck in neutral. In fact, it's like having, in fact, having those two things but not serving in some way, it's like having wheels but no tires. Just like this guy right here. I'm not going to touch again because I got my hand all greasy. It's like having wheels but no tires. Without tires on it, the vehicle, it just simply cannot do what it was made to do. No, it can do something, right? I could have four of these guys with no tires on my vehicle. By the way, I have this one because my spare got stolen, and Al got me this uh, wheel so I could get a spare. I haven't got it on there yet. But our cars, even if it's got no tires, it can do something. If it was just sitting on wheels like this, you could start it. You could turn on the seat heaters. You could put on the music you like. You can adjust the mirrors just like, but you're not going anywhere. If you tried, you wouldn't make it far. And you see, God's hope for us is that we would not live our Christian life in secret, but that we would put into motion the gifts and the blessings that God has given us. He doesn't want us just to sit still. And when we don't use the gifts or blessings God has given us, it's like having a perfectly maintained car, but no tires. I have two main reasons for you today uh, why we must be people who serve in some ways, believers. One of those is this, serving is the example that Jesus sets. Jesus himself says it, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus set the example for us in serving. Uh, we know that Jesus not only said this, but he lived a life that reflected what he said in this verse. Uh, Al mentioned it earlier. He, what Jesus did at the end of his life is he washed the feet of his disciples, even the disciple who would betray him and send him to death at the Last Supper. And ultimately, he laid his physical life down for us, right? The Son of Man did not come to ser be served, but to serve. The other reason that uh, we know we need to serve is because serving takes our focus off of us and places it on others. Serving takes my focus off of John and it places it somewhere else. Paul says, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. When, when we as believers, as people, when we look to the interests of others, it simply gives us less time to think about what's going on inside of us. And we give value to other people that we did not previously give. When we serve, we give value to other people we did not previously give. And with that framework in mind, I want to talk today and two weeks from now because there was too much stuff, couldn't fit it all in today. We have a missionary next week. I want to talk today and two weeks from now about three ways that we as believers can serve God's church. I know many of you in this place <clears throat> or listening to this online, uh, you're already serving in ministries or, or you have for a long time. You're already supporting the church in all kinds of ways. But I believe over the next couple of weeks that God might be up to something new in some of you. He might even be changing your focus. He might be reactivating your heart to help in a certain way or maybe changing your direction a little bit. Maybe he's even helping every one of us to forget ourselves long enough to lend a hand somewhere else. It can be difficult to do sometimes. 
the first way, friends, we can put some tires on the wheels, be a part of serving in God's church, is number one, we can give. We can give. I want to be really clear if you're brand new today uh, that I am speaking mostly to regular attenders of our church. I don't want anyone to have the idea that Engage Boise is this place where you come and we're always pumping the people for money. If you're brand new, you're like, oh, great. The pastor's asking me for money already. Thanks a lot. That's something that some churches have done in an inappropriate way. I'm sure you've heard of them. I hope you've never been to one, but it happens. Our goal is to never be one of those. And I just want to point out, if we were trying to guilt you into giving, we would have taken the offering after this. Took the offering first on purpose. I don't want you to feel guilted into anything. But it is important to talk about giving in an appropriate way and not dwell on it. Uh, money or giving, it's never a favorite thing to talk about on a Sunday for any pastor anywhere. Uh, for me personally, it's not because I'm uncomfortable talking about it. Uh, we have a, we, my wife and I feel like we have a good handle on why we give and how much we give and all of that. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty excited to let you know what the Bible says about giving. But the reason it can be uncomfortable is because the perception is that churches talk about it too much. So we're going to talk about it today. We're going to talk about what the Bible says, but we're not going to uh, dwell on it too long. Uh, again, if you're new, you're not under any obligation to give, um, but I do hope it will shine through that we hope to approach giving uh, through the lens, giving financially through the lens of what the Bible says. We want to do what the Bible says to do. We don't want to do what John says to do. We want to do what the Bible says to do. Now, if you, for some reason, you were looking for something to argue about with someone, I don't know why you would do that, but if you were, you could talk about sports. You could have a fun argument about sports, because after all, it doesn't matter that much, right? You're never going to meet the people. If the team loses or wins, it doesn't really affect your life. Yeah, much. Yeah, depends on the person, I guess. Huh? Now, you could also, if you want to argue, you could talk about politics, not as fun to argue about, right? <laughs> you could talk about uh, their family and your family. Potentially fun, maybe not fun, depending on where the conversation goes. Or you could talk about money and finances. Guaranteed fisticuffs raise blood pressure immediately if you talk about money with people. So if that's true, why do we bother talking about it at church? Well, the Bible talks about it a lot. So while we don't dwell on it, we also can't pretend it's not in there. Um, and we are beyond blessed at this church, man. Uh, we have everything that we need and, and more. Um, and sometimes people, when they think about giving at church, they think, why would you even talk about it? Aren't there bigger things to worry about in the world? Right? There's wars and rumors of wars and all kinds of things. Well, the wonderful thing about serving God, giving your life to Jesus, living life the way the Bible says to live it, is that, yes, there's forgiveness of sins. That's the most important thing. But also, everyone in this place who's been serving God for a while, they will tell you, God cares about all the parts of your lives. Cares about your salvation, but he also cares all the way down to the little details. Enough that he even gave us tons of instruction in the Bible about how we handle giving at church. That's why we talk about it. God cares about those small details. And he even wrote down for us how it should work for us personally. That's why we talk about it. But we're so blessed as a church. Many of you are incredibly blessed or generous and faithful. Um, and you have grasped this idea that one of the ways we serve is by giving, giving financially. You hear us say pretty often, I think I said it when I prayed earlier, that we want every penny that's given to our church to help people meet Jesus for the first time. 
and to help people know Jesus better. That's what we want to do. Now, this is certainly a very tangible representation of serving, right? Because taking something that you have earned, you go, you work your hours, you get the check, and then you freely give it to somebody else, that's an act of sacrifice for sure. Giving money away that you earned, that's serving in its purest form. So this morning, I just want to scratch the surface of why we do it. This is not the time or the place for a deep study about it. Lots of great information out there about how to do your finances biblically. Dave Ramsey, Larry Burkhead, all that good stuff. I'm certainly willing to have a conversation about it with you for sure. But in most churches, you're going to hear us talk about tithes and offerings. And the reason we say both those things is because they're actually different. You might not know. Tithe and offering, two different things. A tithe, the word means 10%. And it's what we give on a regular basis from what we earn. An offering is something over and above that amount as God directs us. Now, tithe, that's something that's referred to quite a bit in the Old Testament. It's all over the place. That word, like we said, quite literally, tithe means tenth. And the reason you hear churches, including ours, talk about a tithe is because it's a command that God gave his people in the Old Testament. command that God gave the Israelites. In the Old Testament, there was this entire tribe of God's people, one of the 12 tribes, called the Levites. And they were charged with taking care of the tabernacle, the ark, the temple, the, Israel, the, Israeli people's, the Israelites' version of the church. And one of the main jobs they did, this is a very simplified version, one of the main jobs they did was help bring people's sacrifices to the Lord to atone for their sins. So one of the main jobs of the Levites. Before Jesus came to earth, this was the way they were right with God. There was no forgiveness without blood. Jesus came and shed his blood, so we don't have to do that any longer. But in the Old Testament, there was no forgiveness without blood of some kind. And because the Levites had this job, this, they could not work the same way the other tribes could. So God said this, says this to his people, Leviticus 27.30. Here it is, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, it belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. The people uh, back then, they did not have currency like we have, carry around a wallet with dollar bills. So they were commanded to bring a tenth of what they had to God. And that was what sustained the Levites and their families. Because the Levites that worked in, in, the, in God's house, they had families to take care of just like everyone else. And if you read Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, I just happened to be reading in that recently. You'll see God reaffirm this over and over again. You're to bring your stuff to the temple and they will offer the sacrifices. And then the leftover they used to take care of their families. Now when it comes to offering, it's a different thing. In the Old Testament, the offering was set aside from the tenth or the tithe that every family would bring. Uh, scripture we have for you, Deuteronomy 16, 16, 17, says this, three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose. At the festival of the unleavened bread, the festival of the weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. And it opens up bigger discussion. There's two very important things to note in that scripture, right? Uh, God asked everyone to bring a gift, and it was supposed to be as they were able, but that was up to them and not specified. There's no amount specified in there. It's up to them, and it was not specified, but it was also important enough that God directed them to do it three times a year. God said, come three times a year, bring what you feel like you're supposed to bring. And when they did this, here's the amazing part, when they did this, God made a promise to the Israelites. 
And we believe that promise also is for us. Malachi 3, uh, verse 10 through 12 says this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You might be thinking, man, you're reading us a lot of Old Testament scriptures. I am. (laughs) The reason is because I want you to know first and foremost, like I said, what God says and not what I say. This is what's in the Bible. This is where we get how we teach this. I also want you to see as a church that why we use that principle of tithe and offering. Tithe is what we use to operate, take care of God's people as he directs us. Right? As a church, uh, we try to be responsible. We, we are responsible. We do have a budget. We have monthly board meetings. We have accountability with everything that comes in, everywhere it goes. We try to make sure every penny helps people uh, come to know Jesus. And that might look different in a lot of ways. It might look like giving money to a family in need. And we do, we do a fair bit of that. Whether they go to our church or whether they don't. Or it might look like buying a printer so we can print out curriculum for our kids' classes. They're radically different things, different applications, but the same goal. The printer has the same goal as helping the needy family. It's helping people know Jesus. Next week, we're going to be talking about missions. And we have a missionary speaking that day that none of you have met. He's Actually, a few of you have met because he came to our uh, prayer group one night that was here. But we're going to give you a chance to give towards our missions uh, strategy that I was talking about on the video. Global local, and next. People around the world, people that are within the United States, and the next generation. If it's brand new to you, if you're like, missions, why are we talking about this? I just encourage you, have an open heart towards what God might be saying. And don't hesitate, find me with any questions. If you're like, what in the world, why do we do this? Come find me and talk to me about it. We can talk about it in a deeper way. But the principle is simply this. We give over and above that tithe, that 10%, as God enables us, to people or organizations that take the good news of Jesus to places our church doesn't reach. It sounds awesome to me to go to the other side of the world, preach the gospel, sneak Bibles into China. Not what God has called me to do. But there is people that God has called to do that. So a missionary, they may be to Russia. We support missionaries in Russia. It might be to the Boise Rescue Mission. We support them. I was just talking with uh, somebody yesterday about a local organization called Launchpad. What Launchpad does is they do uh, a class at high schools similar to the LDS seminary where the kids leave school and they go to a Bible class and it's taught by local pastors. Pastor Chase teaches it at Timberline. It's an awesome thing. We give uh, towards organizations like that. Uh, We give uh, during uh, the season of Mother's Day to stand healthcare. Because we believe in the sanctity of life. And when we do all of this, so we're not looking to say, hey, we gave X amount. Look how awesome we are. Here's the total we gave. We are amazing. It's good to keep track of the numbers and know God cares. But that's not what we're looking to do. What we're hoping to do is create a culture of people that have generous hearts. Hearts that are focused on preaching the good news even to the places we can't physically go. You might not know this, but Olga, our, our kids' leader, uh, she got saved by missionaries that came to uh, Turkmenistan. It was the USSR at the time. 
This is the reason she's serving the Lord today, because someone supported a missionary. Some of you have this incredible heart to give towards missions, and you do so faithfully, and you have been. Some of you just started doing it this past year. I'm so grateful for that. Um, so I've given you what God commanded his people to do in the Old Testament, given you a lot of scripture. I've given you how our church approaches it. The question is, how does it apply to us in 2024? Because I get it. You don't have livestock and crops to bring. Most of you, any of you that I know of, you haven't brought it yet, I guess. Although, I Bill and Ron to bring eggs, so I guess it's pretty close. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the eggs. How does it apply to you, right? I'm not from the tribe of Levi. I'm not sacrificing animals for your sins. Thankfully, that would be a whole different job than what I do. Here's what the New Testament says, though. Jesus himself tells us this, Luke 6, 37, 38. says this. Listen to all the important stuff that's in here. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, to me, what's so important to note there is how many important aspects of life and faith that Jesus talks about right there. He says, talks about refusing to judge others. He talks about refusing to condemn others. He talks about forgiveness. And he talks about giving. I don't think we can say that Jesus doesn't talk about it. What it tells us simply is that giving mattered enough to Jesus to talk about it. And he talks about it in conjunction along with some other very important ideas, things that really matter to us. And not long after Jesus' death and resurrection, the New Testament church, they begin to take what Jesus said and they put it into practice. And Paul says this, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 6 through 8. This is going to sound familiar. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. We read those two scriptures really close together because I want us to notice how much of what Paul says really matches up with what Jesus says. Right? Jesus says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Paul says, so sparingly and reap sparingly. So generously and reap generously. Versions of the same thing. Jesus says, a good measure overflowing into your lap. Paul says, God is able to bless you abundantly, having all that you need. Both of those things line up with the Old Testament, specifically that passage, passage from Malachi 3. I just want to remind you of it. Verses 10 and 11 in Malachi 3 said, Bring a whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe says the Lord Almighty. And there's so much interesting stuff in that scripture. There's this interesting wrinkle in there in that scripture from Malachi, the part about how the, the fruit will not drop from the vine and the pests will not devour your crops. What it's saying, if we just translate it to a modern version, is that God protects us from harm when we honor him. He gets to decide uh, how he does it, but he protects us from harm when we honor him. 
If you grew crops in the Old Testament, if they fell off the vine too early, that was one of the worst things that could happen because they couldn't grow any longer. There's nothing you could do to put it back. The one thing we don't see match up between the verses in Malachi or the Old Testament and what Jesus and Paul said is the word tithe. We don't see the word tithe in the New Testament. We see lots of talk about giving. We see lots of talk about taking care of the poor. We see lots of talk about supporting the church, but we don't see the word tithe. And that's why verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 9 is what, that we just read is so critical. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What this means in practicality for us is that what we give is between us and God. And whatever it is, no matter what you decide to give or not give, it should be done with a glad heart. Full stop. should be done with a glad heart. Now, the tithe or the 10%, it's a great guideline. I believe it's biblical. I believe the principle from the Old Testament, it applies. Well, that God's promise from Malachi 3 is true. I could stand here and tell you story after story about how God is taking care of us in, in awesome, unexpected, hilarious ways. Chandra and I, because my wife is an accountant and a really good accountant, we have tithed together since the moment we were married. I'm sure other people can attest to it in this place. As we've been faithful, we've seen God's faithfulness in times of plenty, in times of lack, everything in between. I know I'm not the only one that could repeat that story. And even if Jesus and Paul did not use the word tithe, the concept they were talking about is the same. But if you're sitting here and you're kind of hung up on the amount, I would encourage you to know in your heart that obedience is more important than the amount. Obedience is more important than an amount. It's not about 5 or 8 or 10 or 20 or 50%. That part is between you and God. The obedience is the part that God really cares about. Now, there's lots of things we could dig into. In Luke 21, uh, Jesus talks about a widow who had given all she had, although the uh, amount was very small, had given more than a rich person who'd given a monetarily large amount. But tells us it's about obedience and not the amount. And what God cares about, the thing that matters is what's going on in our heart, not the amount we put in the plate or we send to the text message or whatever. Now listen to this at our church. Uh, we are not checking up on you to see if you were hitting your 10%. I'm not sure exactly how we would do that unless we had all of your pay stubs anyway, right? But we're not checking up on you to see if you're giving what you should. There are churches that do that. We're not, one, we're not one of those churches. We're not driving around to see who's got nice houses and then be like, oh, I don't think that check matches up. <laughs> Boy, that's a really nice yard. I don't think they're giving their 10%. We're not doing that. We keep good records so there's accountability for what we do, what we take in, and what we spend. And so you can have the information for your taxes. But what you give, it's between you and God between you and God. To bring it back around kind of to the theme of our series, giving in any way to God, tithe, offering, it's a tangible way to put some motion to our faith. It's a tangible way to get some tires. It's actually a little bit like tires because just like it can be difficult to write the check for the tires to go on the empty wheel here. It's difficult to write the check, but it's amazing how grateful you are for them when you really need good ones. It's amazing how grateful you are when, in my case, you're not sliding down the hill backwards if I would have just bought the tires earlier. 
And just like it's the same as giving, because it can be difficult to give regularly, at least at first. If you never have, if this is new to you, I would just encourage you to really examine what the scripture says and do it if you feel like God's asking you to. It can be difficult at first, but there's this funny thing that happens, and I can promise you that, it's, that it will happen. It becomes easier to live on the 90% than it was on the 100%. It's, it's amazing how it works. Be struggling and struggling with 100%, and you take it down to 90, and suddenly you have everything what you need. The reason I can state that promise is because it's not me making the promise. Just read to you in the scripture all the places that God himself makes the promise. We've read several scriptures today, and there's lots more. And just like the fact that a car without tires can't do what it is made to do, if our heart's not generous, and we don't do the routine maintenance of regularly living life with an open hand, however that looks between us and God, uh, then we can get stuck in neutral sometimes. And again, I just want you to know, generous can be $5, $5,000. Depends on your situation and your heart. The amount's not the thing. The obedience is the thing. And giving can be difficult to talk about at church, but it's really important we do it on purpose because our hope is that uh, as we walk with God, that if we do it the right way, it enriches our walk with God. And that we, whatever we do, we do it with joy. And giving is this absolutely tangible way to serve. It's a way that we move forward together. Actually, I have two more ways that we do routine maintenance of serving. We definitely don't have time for both of them today. So we'll save one of them for two weeks from now as we finish up the series. But I want to talk quickly about one other way we can put some tires on our faith and put it in motion. Maybe you're here and you're like hearing this stuff about giving to the church. And you're like, well, actually, I think I would like to start doing that. I don't, don't know if I'm ready to yet. Maybe you're not sure how those scriptures in the Old and New Testament line up. Maybe you're like not so sure I'm not full of it. And you want to go read up those things on yourself. That's totally fine. But there is something that 100% of believers can do to serve God's people. Every single one of us in this place can do it. Take zero talent, it takes zero money. Another way you can put some tires on our faith is that we can make a decision to encourage. Every one of us can encourage. There are some things that God has given certain people gifts for. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. And there are things that God has given people the means to do. God financially blesses people, and he gives them the means to bless his kingdom. But there is not one believer, not one of you today, who is unable to encourage. Every single one of us can encourage. It might take more work for some people than it does for others. And some people are actually spiritually gifted to encourage in a powerful way. That's found in Romans 12. But encouraging is not limited only to those people. Now, there are certain gifts that, yes, you either have them or you don't have them. That's the way that it works. It's been really fun uh, watching my kids play sports. Luke's playing indoor soccer right now. Just fun to watch him go smash into other kids. It's really fun. <laughs> but it's really fun to watch because you can see it early on. you got kids who are in soccer or basketball or baseball or whatever sport. Um, sometimes there is a gift that needs to be unlocked. You see a kid get out there, and you're like, wow, there's a natural gift in there. That kid could be good. And there are some kids for whom it does not matter how well the coach coaches them. It's just not in there. It does not matter what drill they do, what the coach says. It's this guy on our football team when I was in high school named Dan. Dan was one of the fastest 400-meter runners in the state. And so for football, naturally, they wanted Dan to be a running back. Right, give Dan the ball. 
He can run quickly. Problem was Dan was so uncoordinated with his hands, he could not take a handoff. He was so uncoordinated, they would hand him the ball, and he would just immediately drop it. So fastest 400-meter runner in the state was a lineman because he did not have the gift to hang on to the ball. Sometimes, some things God gives us a gift for. Encouraging is not one of those things uh, that you can't do without the gift. The Bible says this to us, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. Just black and white plain. Encourage one another, build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. For the simple reason, friends, for you and I, that God is good and we have salvation, we are to encourage. If that's all you have, then we are to encourage. We've talked the last two weeks about a couple really important parts of life uh, of a believer. Personal devotions, coming to church. And we've noted what those two things do for us on a practical level. They strengthen us. They help prepare us for the world. God himself pours into us and he prepares us for what we will face when we spend time with him, when we go to church. But I believe what we see in 1 Thessalonians is part is this, that's part of why God strengthens us is so that we can strengthen others. Part of the reason God strengthens you is so you can strengthen others. What's interesting about encouraging is that encouraging is completely free. Encouraging involves no physical effort and involves no talent, but it's often still difficult to do. Cost you nothing, sometimes it's still hard to say anything positive. Now the reason I believe it can be difficult is actually the same reason that it's so important. The reason is because the impulse of the world is negativity. Because the impulse of the world is negativity, it's essential that we as believers are encouragers. The world does not need more complainers, but there is a shortage of encouragers. Everywhere you look, you'll find complainers. You won't find many encouragers. It's difficult to be an encourager because the world often looks for the worst in everything, even the best stuff. The world sees the worst. It's a topic for another day, but I believe the reason that happens is because our natural desire as humans to make something look worse so we can look better. When I see something I'm interested in and someone's good at it, my natural first thought is to make them look worse so I can be better than them. To think things like, oh, those people, man, they only ended up successful because their parents had money. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Oh, those people, they only ended up good at sports because they had a great coach. You fill in the blank thing. And this runs completely contrary to what God says to do. We just read it. God says, build one another up. But it's really difficult to encourage when what we often see around us is the opposite, discouragement. But it's also why it's important. What it really comes down to at its simplest level is finding something good to say. If you know Jesus, if you have salvation, if you're going to heaven, you have something good to say. Yeah, we all know that life is difficult. The world is a fallen place. Jesus said you will have trouble, but there is beauty in the journey. And one of the things God enables us to do, I believe this when we follow him, is he enables us to recognize the beauty amidst the difficulty. A very, very key part of encouraging is what the Bible calls carrying each other's burdens. Galatians 6.2 says this, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. 
carrying each other's burdens, friends, this is a specific action that we as believers can take to serve. The way that we carry burdens in the simplest way, carrying someone's burden in its simplest form, this involves recognizing that someone that we love, that we know is struggling, and we just commit to walk alongside them. When we commit to walk alongside them, we're not solving the problem for them. It might be easier if we could just solve the problem for them. What we're doing is simply serving them and letting them know, hey, you are not alone in this. God commands me to help carry your burden, so here I am. And this is not something to be taken lightly. I'll tell you this. I I might not have to tell you. You might already know. uh, Often walking alongside someone who's struggling emotionally, struggling, uh, it can be really draining. But when we are allowing God to strengthen us, like we talked about the last couple of weeks, we're more able, more easily able to strengthen others. When we allow God to strengthen us through personal devotions, through community with other believers, we're more easily able to strengthen others. And that's why it's an aspect of serving. Because you're giving something that God has given you. It can be a huge sacrifice to commit to walking through something difficult with someone but it's also a massive honor. Some of the greatest honors of my life have been walking next to people who are struggling. And often what it involves is just being present, letting people know they're not alone, reminding them, hey, I'm praying for you. I know yesterday was terrible, but I'm a phone call away and I'm praying for you. And I found uh, when we're serving in this way, Often we feel powerless, but what we're actually doing is participating in someone else's healing. Serving in this way, carrying one another's burdens, it also has a side effect of doing what we talked about earlier. It moves our focus from ourselves to someone else. Yeah, we all have stuff. And I've got things I got to fix and things that are frustrating and things I got to get ready for the baby, but you will walk along someone that's having a real problem, and it takes my focus off of myself and puts it on someone else. To take it back to the example of the tires. Encouragement, when we give encouragement or when encouragement is given to us, it's kind of like when the air pressure gets low for whatever reason. I know I'm not the only person who has let the air get low in my tires these days. You probably have a light on your dashboard that comes on. The light looks a lot more sinister than it actually is. Usually it looks like something really bad's happening. It's just telling you to get air in your tires. Uh, one of my early, early SUVs, I had a 93 Suburban I got from my parents. And I loved to go skiing at the time. And uh, I was going to go up to Bogus and go skiing. And I thought I needed this thing aligned terribly because, like, you'd let go of the wheel. I think it would just jerk left. So I took it down to the tire store, and I drove up, and I was like, man, I think I need to get this thing aligned. It's just, it's going all over the place. So, you know, I hope it's not too expensive, but I think I need an alignment. So they come back, and they say, you know what? It's actually fine. Just one of your tires was nearly flat. (laughs) You didn't even really look. So they aired up the tires. They said, it's good. I said, didn't need a line? Didn't need the tires? No, it's fine. Just needed to get the air pressure right. Helps the vehicle drive straight, helps it get better gas mileage, keeps the tires from wearing. Now, all it takes to do that is someone with a little bit of time and a little bit of air. And sometimes in our lives as believers, friends, sometimes we're the low tires and sometimes we're the air machine. Sometimes you need someone to come along and be like, you know what? You got this. Let's do it together. 
Sometimes you're the person that realizes someone is struggling and you come alongside them and you get their pressure right in their tires and you help them move forward in their life. And I'm so thankful for people in my life that have been this. Our network superintendent, Pastor Joel, uh, who was here a few weeks ago on the snowy day, he comes to mind for me. He was such an encouragement, encourager to my wife and I when everything was unknown. We were between churches, didn't know where we were going to end up. He was such an encourager and he still is. He advises with honesty, but he always encourages. So grateful for it. I hope you are thinking of people in your life that are that or how you can be that for others. Friends, one of the ways and really the most simple way is that we put our faith in motion. It can be a grind. But one of the ways we do it is we do the routine maintenance of serving by encouraging other people. Did you bow your heads, close your eyes this morning. We're almost done. Today as we close, I just want to bring a little encouragement to you, hopefully. The encouragement for you is this. God loves you, and he is for you. No matter what you have heard, what you've thought, what the enemy has even told you, God loves you, and he's for you. Contrary to what the world may have told you, God is not mad at you. And you might be wondering, why in the world would anyone feel like doing any encouraging with the way the world is? Why would people give money to a God they can't see with their own two eyes just because some book says they should? The reason we do that is because of God's mercy. The reason we do that is because of his gift of grace that's freely given, freely received. I read this scripture last week, and I want to read you the same one. If you're here today and you're wondering how God feels about you, here's what John 3, 16, 17 says. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is the part you need to hear today. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Hence, God didn't send his son Jesus because he's mad at you. He sent his son Jesus because he loves you. And on this day, when we've talked in detail about the life of a Christian, maybe becoming a believer in Jesus is where you need to start today. Maybe you need to start with this understanding that we are sinners, all of us are sinners, and we all need grace. And you need to know today, every one of you, those of you that are listening online, when we ask Jesus to forgive us and repent of our sin as best we know how, we tell Jesus he's Lord of our life, we ask him to make us new, he hears that prayer and we become sons and daughters of the one true God. No matter what we've done, God's grace through Jesus is enough for us. So put aside all the talk about money. I want to encourage you today. God is not mad at you. He sent his son to earth because he loves you. So our heads are bad, our eyes are closed. Um, if you're here today and you're just, uh, you know that you need to accept the Lord today, you need to become a Christian, or maybe you're far from him and today you need to come back to him, would you just raise your hand across this place so we can know to pray together? I'm just going to pray over you today, friends. sense that some of you are kind of uh, kind of in between, not sure if you need to raise your hand or not, and that's okay. What we're going to do is I'm going to pray over you, going to ask God to make you new, and then we're going to close. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for your presence here today. Thank you, Lord. Uh, as much as we may try to be encouragers, as much as we need people to encourage us, 
Uh, Jesus, you're the ultimate encourager, the one who brings us life when we deserve death. The one who brings us forgiveness when we deserve condemnation. And Lord, for those that are here today, uh, they know in their heart they're far from you. I pray that as they whisper a prayer to you in their heart, as loud as they dare to you, uh, that you would draw them to you today. You'd let them begin to feel a sense of forgiveness, redemption they've never felt. You'd wash them clean with your blood. Let them know that your body was broken for them, your blood was shed for them. Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. This evidence in our lives. Thank you that it's the reason we can live and have eternal life. And I pray, Lord, that your life and your mercy would overcome every person in this place, Jesus. Pray these things in your holy name. Friends, would you stand this morning as Pastor Joey just leads us in a song? Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.